0: We're in Matthew chapter 12. We're going through a series called Foundational Framework. And the reason why we're slowing down at this point is because this is a pivotal turning moment in all of history. Not just the Bible, but all of history. The reason is, is because we spent time looking at major events that were leading up to the time of Jesus so that we would be able to understand Jesus. And what we find is, is that if you don't understand who God is, And if you don't understand who we are, and if you don't understand what sin is, there is no way you can understand the God-man that takes away the sins of the world. This is so important. So in doing so, we have followed the promises of the Messiah and what God was seeking to communicate to the world about the fact that he alone offers deliverance. And yet, out of all the ways he could possibly give deliverance, he gave it through a frail Jewish man. So what we're finding at this moment is that by the miracles that he worked, by the teachings that he gave, the signs that were granted to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, all were the stamp that signified him as the Messiah. But the religious know-it-alls of the day decided, no, his power actually comes from the devil. That's where he gets his juice from. It's not from God. From Satan. And in doing so, with all of the knowledge that they had, with all of the revelation that they had been given, with how much God was screaming in their faces with what they were seeing, they denied him. In doing so, they committed what is called the unpardonable sin. And if you want more information about that, that was last week. So now Jesus has condemned them. And what I want us to do is I want us to look. Let's probably start here at uh, 30, verse 30, chapter 12, verse 30. He is in a hot and heavy, uh, reading him the riot act kind of thing going on here. Jesus is fired up. I love it when Jesus gets fired up. It completely destroys all the hallmark moments that we have of him. It's kind of good every once in a while. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Is there a fence? Can you sit on the fence with Jesus? Oh, in fact, you sit on the fence too long, it begins to hurt. So you don't want to do that. Jesus won't let you. Everyone at some point in their life has got to make a decision about what they believe about Jesus Christ. He either is God in the flesh, the Savior, Deliverer, Payer of sins or he is the craziest person the recorded history has ever documented it's one or the other you can't get your way around it even jesus is clear about it you're either with me or you're against me so he moves on verse 31 therefore i say to you any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people now stop aren't you thankful for that you ever blasphemed jesus in your life see <laughs> nobody yeah exactly right which means yes I have. So notice he says it'll be forgiven people that's good. but as far as what the Pharisees have seen from the demonstration of the miracles from the power of the Holy Spirit notice what he says here but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. He reiterates it again, 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, and remember, these are men who had witnessed the acts of the Holy Spirit being performed through the Messiah as clear as day. A man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand, it's made whole. A man who was demon-possessed, exercised. Now notice that no head spun around. Nobody projectile anything, right? Exorcist, get that out of your mind. It's not what the Bible says, okay? Then people be crazy. So, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age, okay? If that wasn't bad enough. But notice what it says. Or in the age to come. There is no salvation for these men because of the conclusion that they were promoting, whether in their life or the life after. When the kingdom comes and the next age is ushered in, they cannot be saved. Unsavable. That's exactly how terrible this sin was. I don't know if you've pondered that. Spend time thinking about that at some point. This is like we see in Revelation with people who take the mark of the beast. When they take the mark of the beast, they have just made the decision to become unsavable in the eyes of God. They cannot be redeemed at that moment. It's a scary thought. So as I was trudging through, I thought, man, verses 33 through 50, we can get that done this week. And the Lord said, no. I said, why, God? And he goes, because the context is not going to let you do that. And I said, why, God? I need to get through this. Do you realize this is foundational framework number 50? You guys have set through 50 Sundays of this. Perseverance, endurance, right? Like, yeah, I get that. I get that. I sat through the preacher's sermons. I get it. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's kind of you. I will pay you later. Verse 33. Here's a reason why I can't go any further than 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For, and real quick, for is what's known as a causal conjunction. It is linking together the reasoning or an elaboration of the statement that was just made. It's giving you the cause for it okay the tree is known by its fruit now you say what is so profound by this or or or, or with this anybody got a fruit tree out in their yard anybody got a fruit tree on their property do you pull fruit from it is it good fruit or bad fruit it's good now here's the thing and i don't know about tree stuff what's a tree guy called an arborist i should know that spending time with kevin i should know that is he here oh where's he at oh he's in the back oh you didn't hear that did you oh okay (laughs) it doesn't take a genius it doesn't take an arborist to know that if you've got good fruit you got a good tree Anybody ever seen a funky Charlie Brown Christmas tree with the most amazing red apples you've ever seen in your life on it? Have you ever seen that? No, because it doesn't exist. Or let me say it this way. The product has got to be consistent with the contents. Follow me now, because notice what he says. For, here's the reason, the tree is known by its fruit. Put your finger here. Turn back to Matthew 7. We're going to do a lot of flipping around today because of the subject at hand. I'm going to show you this in just a second. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it is to live a life that is worthy of inheriting the kingdom. It is not a salvation by works. Salvation, being justified before God, is by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. However, after you are justified before God, it matters how you live. It is not you were just given a one-ticket way to heaven and now you know don't worry about sinning anymore whatsoever. It's all under the rug. No, your sin still matters. You're still going to heaven, but your sin still matters. Jesus wants to teach his disciples how to live a life that is a worthy life, that it's a life worth living. Not because it matters now, because it will matter in the kingdom to come. And so he says here, chapter 7, look at verse 16. Actually, let's do 15. That'll help us. Beware of the false prophets. Okay, everybody got that? Prophets who are bad. You can just write that in, right? That's the Jeremy translation. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look like you. They smell like you. They dress like you. But notice what it says, but inwardly or what? They will tear you up. See, this is why when you judge somebody, whether or not they're saved on their works, doesn't make any sense. The most deceitful people look just like me. Even Satan masquerades as an angel of light, does he not? So this whole thing about judging on appearances, let's get that out of our minds. That's not our place. But notice verse 16. You will know them by their what? Everybody see the similar language? Watch it. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Are they? No, they're not. In fact, it might not be a bad idea to click your rare antique one-of-a-kind Grace Bible Church pen and write no in there. Which, by the way, this is a brand new Grace Bible Church pen. Let everybody know. "Mm, The suspense builds. Back to Scripture. Okay. (laughs) Verse 17. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Did we not just read that in 1233? So notice, you can write that there. Does everybody see how it's consistent? The larger context is going to help us understand what Jesus is talking about here. We're only, you know, five chapters away watch what he says here and stop. What are the subject again? What's the subject? Who are we talking about? You will know who? False prophets. False prophets. Mark it in 15. That's who he's talking about. That's the subject heading. Verse 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now before you say that's hell, it's not. It could be, but it's not. It could be the fact that they are judged or disciplined in a temporal manner, or that all of their works are burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. We will all give an account for how we lived in the body, the things we have done, whether good or evil, 2 Corinthians 5.10. That is a judgment for believers, not unbelievers. The unbeliever judgment is the great white throne judgment. Okay? It's important for us to know the that difference. That's in your notes. If you want to know more of that. Send me an email, we'll talk about it, you buy me coffee. Verse 20, so then, you will know them by their what? Now here's a question. If we're talking about false prophets, and we're talking about the fact that they look like anybody else, let's just put it in our modern day vernacular, this isn't what he means here, because the church isn't in existence yet, but he looks like church folk, is the idea. He looks like regular Mary and Joe that you go to church with. What do you think he means by fruit? You will know them by their fruit. You might know. You might want to take a stab at it. What's that? Can't be their good works. They look just like all of us. They're what? No, not their gifts. Their speech. Oh. I actually got to congratulate you today. Good gravy! Let's turn back to twelve and let's see. Let let Jesus. It it hurts me real bad, Tom. Uh, Tom, yeah. Let's spend time First 1 John one nine again. Um, go back to this. Let's let the context fill in the blanks for us. So look at thirty three. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Now I love it. Verse thirty four. You brood of vipers. How to make friends and influence people, right? How could you, being evil, here it is, church, speak? What is what? There it is. The fruit is somebody's words. The fruit is what you say. It is what proceeds out of your mouth. And it's also what you type on Facebook, right? Well, I'm not speaking. That's pharisaical. Because notice that Jesus is going to tell you the real problem here. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For, here's your causal conjunction, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The fingers type out that which fills the heart. What you say shows me you. And what I say shows you me. If you want to know who I really am, get me talking. There you go. I'm like, you won't shut up. We know enough about you. I get it. But people can hide it for a while, they can modify behavior for a time. But eventually, the truth comes out. And the truth doesn't come out in actions as much as it does in words. Who you really are is filled up here and will show itself here. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He was earlier talking about how to identify false prophets. You identify them from their words. How can you, Pharisees, being evil, speak anything good? How can anybody trust your spiritual guidance when the insides of you are unregenerate? You're lost. How in the world could you give sound advice about what God thinks or how you should choose in a situation? Notice what he says here moving on. Keep this in your mind, but it comes out of the heart. Verse 35, The good man brings out of his good treasure... What is good, or good things is the idea. Notice it says after that, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Everybody see the word treasure there? It just so happens in my translation how it's set up. Treasure and treasure, they're they're one over the top of the other as the lines go on. I was able to box them both because right there he's talking about the heart. The treasure chest. Your treasure is your heart. Think of it that way and read it. Notice what it says. The good man brings out of his good heart what is good. That's the product that comes from the content. Everybody see that? But notice the next part here. The evil man brings out of his evil heart what is evil or evil things. Now watch this. And if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, this will ring a bell with you. Verse 36. But I tell you, Jesus is going to set down a divine authoritative Assessment right here. Look what he says. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Everybody see that word? Careless. Careless word. Idle word. Useless Word. Anybody got something different there in their translation they want to share? Anybody got anything? Somebody said something. What's up? Empty words, fruitless language, having no substance, it's contentless. The contentlessness of our words reveals the contentlessness of our hearts. Does that make sense? What you say, what you are communicating is the product of who you are in your being. What fills your heart? Every word we speak, we're going to have to answer for. Have you kept track of everything you've said? I haven't. Mainly because after I said it, I didn't want to. It wasn't anything worth keeping track of. And I stand here with the Word of God staring me in the face saying, I'm going to ask you about that later. You and I were going to talk about that. You ever had that conversation with your dad? What did you just say? And we go into freak out mode. Calm, but freaking out. We usually do this. Because we got to have something nervous and we're trying not to cry, right? What kills me is that the Savior is going to (laughs) lovingly question us about this. I mean, he's not surprised we sinned, right? That didn't catch him by surprise. He's not caught off guard. But was it characteristic of a redeemed, blood bought? saint of God who is sin-free in the Creator's eyes and was given new life to be lived out through them because we do not have the ability nor the capacity to live that new life out ourselves. Was it prompted by the Holy Spirit? Was it prompted by us? Let's take a trip. We'll come back to that question. If you would, take your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Peter. If you got somebody next to you that's not familiar with their Bible, there's no shame in that. It's a big book. We don't expect everybody to have down where 66 books are located in this. But if you got somebody next to you that's having trouble finding it, help them out. You already know it's after 1 Peter, right? I love it. If you've ever read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there's a lot that is said about somebody's words. Words are effective, words can calm, words can soothe, words can stab. A lot of times we slit our own throats with our own tongues, and we do so willingly and joyfully. There's something to be said about examining the power of words. Look at Second Peter 3. This is talking about people that scoff and mock the second coming of Christ. What it will be like in the end times when people want to ridicule you for holding fast to a Savior that they cannot see and who promised to return as we just testified in taking of the Lord's table. But yet, where is He? That is the mocking. That is the scoffing that they bring. Notice chapter 3, verse 5. Peter tells us, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. Now, watch this, and if you want to mark it, do so. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. What formed it? The word. The word. God spoke. And what was not became. He used words to create. That should tell us something from the get-go of Genesis 1, just how powerful words are. But notice, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water, talking about the flood in Noah's time. Verse 7, but by his what? Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction. Of ungodly men. God not only creates by words, but he also destroys by words. He will judge by words. Let me show you another one. Turn to the left to Deuteronomy. Or as Tom affectionately calls it, dude, you're on to me. It's all right. My favorite prophet is the Spanish prophet Malachi, so we're good. Hannah and Rory just had their baby boy. They named him Malachi. I asked them if they were going to name him Malachi. (laughs) Fruitless, empty words again. Chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. Sorry, did I not tell you the chapter? too busy talking. See? Fruitless, empty words. Chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. Look at verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, now watch this, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, here it is, let us go after other gods, whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now watch this. You shall follow Yahweh your Elohim and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments. Here it is. Listen to His what? His voice, His words. Serve Him and cling to him how do you tell a false prophet see what jesus was talking about in matthew 7 isn't any different than what moses was communicating in deuteronomy 13 it doesn't matter if they make things appear disappear heal the sick raise the dead it does not matter what are they saying that is the power why because from that is revealed the heart how about turning back to deuteronomy 4 And all these are in your notes. Don't feel like you have to write them all down. But I want to show you the power of words in the Scriptures. Deuteronomy 4, look at verse 10. This is Moses talking to the nation of Israel. He's going to die at the end of this book. He is leaving them with final instructions and he recalls their memory back to the day when they stood at Mount Sinai and they heard God's voice. Exodus 20 is where that is if you want to write it in. But notice, Deuteronomy 4, verse 10, Remember the day you stood before Yahweh your Elohim at Horeb, when Yahweh said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. This is Participation Sunday. So jump in or get tanked up on coffee. I don't care, but everybody put your hand in the bucket. and We're all going for it, Okay. Let them hear my words. Why? So they may, number one, notice that hearing his words, hearing Yahweh speak from atop of the mountain serves two purposes. Number one, here's what it is. So that they may what? They may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. In other words, when you hear God's words, it is not just for you to gain knowledge. It is to change your direction. It is to reassociate your life. It is to obliterate you and rebuild you into the image of Christ. Because I promise you this, everything that you're seeing on TV, everything you're reading in the newspaper, everything you have on an internet feed, regardless of what it is, it is a lie. It is a lie. You may not believe that. It is. How do I know that? Because only God's word is true. If God's truth is the only truth, everything else pales in comparison to it. Only it is true. Therefore, everything you and I receive has to be measured by it. God gave his word, why? So that we would learn what it is to fear. To fear him. Because if he's telling us the truth, there's a lot to say that affects how you and I make daily choices. To fear, but notice the next part that he says after that. And that they may teach their Children. Uh oh. We all just became accountable for somebody else's life beyond ours. Is that a fun place, parents? Let me tell you this talking about words. You got problems with things going on at church? Come to me. Don't tell your kids. Because if you have a lackadaisical approach and a critical attitude towards a church, don't be surprised when your kids grow up and they don't care about Jesus. They heard it from you they saw what was in your heart why should they step in that direction everybody see the power of words notice the next part here verse 11 you came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire that was pretty crazy right that's cool to see and notice it says after that to the very heart of the heavens Now notice, it burned to the heart of the heavens, but notice the next word. Darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. What in the world is going on there? Was it amazing to see? You guys don't sound very impressed with Yahweh revealing himself. Do you think that would have been impressive to see? Yes. Was it the most important thing there? It was not. Notice what he says. Then Yahweh spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. You know why they didn't see a form? Because they would have been real quick to go out to the antique store and try to scrap some things together in order to resemble that. That's why. Don't focus on the form. Don't make an image of anything on earth or above the earth or under the earth. Listen to His word. Let that be your focus. His word is what matters. In fact, if you're familiar with Exodus 20, and we looked at this a while back, you know that after it was over, all the people, scared out of their minds and knocking knees and looking at each other, trembling, said, don't ever let God speak to us again. Because if he does, we'll die. Now, that doesn't make any sense because they didn't die the first time. But notice the fear that it struck in the hearts of people when they heard him speak audibly in giving the Ten Commandments. Words are important. Now let's get out of the Old Testament for somebody who has a coronary. Matthew chapter 6, right? Anybody here love the Old Testament? Okay, okay, the saved ones do. That's good, three of you. That's good. I'm just kidding. See, I can't judge you by your actions. tell you, if for no other reason, why should we study the Old Testament? Because it beautifully unfolds who God is. There's nothing like it. Focusing on his attributes, blow your mind, change your world, change your heart, start speaking differently. It's interesting how that works. Chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot I could say here, but I want to draw your attention to this one thing. Verse 7, and when you are praying, now stop, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. Anybody heard somebody pray in King James? Man, that's fun, isn't it? Lord, thy bounty that you've given to me. Man, you listen to that all day. It's real good. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. Everybody see that? Think about it. When you go to pray, don't use meaningless repetitions fruitless words that are spoken time and time again in the same setting. Are we we to petition the Lord in our prayers with the needs and desires that we have and and the things that we say, God, I really need you to work here. I need you to move. And we call on other people to do so. Yeah, we do that. But notice the idea is a meaningless repetition. Look what it says here. Do Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do when you see that word it actually means like pagans talk when pagans pray to their false gods they ramble things over and over and over again because notice what it says for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words so do not be like them why because your father your father knows what you need before you ask him Because if we think by rambling on contentless words over and over again, that somehow that's going to gain God's attention, we just forgot one of his basic attributes. He's omniscient. He already knows these things. He is calling on you to humble yourself before him. Don't waste words in his presence. Now let me say this, and if I hurt somebody, you can talk to me afterwards and chastise me in private. That's fine. But this right here, Should strike at the heart of everything we see in the modern charismatic movement as far as speaking in tongues. Because when I'm watching somebody go, Hamana, Shamana, Hamana, Shamana, Hamana, Shamana, Hamana, Shamana, and if that means feed the dog, feed the dog, feed the dog, feed the dog, I'm getting fruitless repetition over and over and over again. That is not an authentic language, as Acts chapter 2 clearly tells us what the biblical gift of speaking in tongues is, and there's no interpreter present other words, I would get, Hamana Shamanah, feed the dog. Hamana Shamanah, feed the dog. We're not getting that. So this right here, and I'm not trying to make fun, but think about it. Critically think about it. When people say, well, that's my private prayer language, hold the phone, man. It seems to have meaningless repetition, and it's more characteristic of pagans than it is those who know the Almighty Creator. We have to think critically about that. Scripture's not lying to us. If I hurt you, I love you. Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. Some of you are like, Paul wrote this. I'm 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 good with this. Yeah. Paul wrote it. I don't know what you're we studying before, but this is what Paul talks about. Paul gives us an excellent instruction here. I'm going to give you guys a test. You ready? Verse 14. Chapter 2, Philippians, verse 14. Do all things. How many things are all things? All of them. Everything I do. When I wake up, when I go to bed, and even when I'm sleeping, it covers that time span. Now, here's a reason why I'm being clear because of what hits us next. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, complaining, or debating. I know some believers who think that complaining is a spiritual gift. It's not. The Holy Spirit didn't give you that. But notice it, and here's what it's not. Don't do this. Why? Because I said, I love that Paul doesn't do that. As a spiritual father to us who wants to impart to the church sound walking in this world, he doesn't leave it at a I said so kind of thing. The reasoning behind it, if you can get the reasoning behind it, it matters more. If you can get the reasoning behind some of the scriptures that we're memorizing right now, You'll be amazed at how quickly you'll grab onto them, and they will become second nature to you. You'll be thinking about them in the shower when you're trying to go to bed. All of a sudden, they just come up. If you get the gist behind why that is, watch what he says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that, here's the reason, you will prove yourselves to be blameless. Now, does that mean you got to prove your salvation, and only those people that are saved are those who don't complain or dispute? No. The word there, prove, actually means that you will come into being in blamelessness. When we all come to faith in Christ, we start out as babies in Christ. That's why you can't get mad at new believers. That's what babies do. They mess up. They spit up. They need changing. You're going to have to put six changes of clothes on them. They're going to throw things. They will break your TV. That didn't happen. Don't read into that. But they're going to do things and you're going to go, why in the world did you do that? Because I'm only two years old in Christ. That's why. And a lot of times because the church, not necessarily this church, but it is worth assessing this, this opinion that I have, the church has by and large failed in the primary task that it's been given by the Lord Jesus of discipling people so that they have somebody holding their hand to grow them up for reasons as to why they shouldn't be grumbling and disputing. Often we get so frustrated with brand new Christians because they sin, and we write them off. We make the eternal judgment call that they must not really be saved. And so they suck their thumb, and they wet their pants, and they barely drink milk for 40 years. I don't think their blood was on their hands probably on ours so we have a responsibility to not just be sharing the gospel but discipling our brothers and sisters notice what he says here so that you will come into being and being blameless and being without fault and innocent being pure in your behavior children of god above reproach people that can't have anything found wrong about them Because the first fault that people are going to find is with your words. Well, did you hear what he said? Because what did it do? It revealed your heart. Notice, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Stop. Does grumbling and disputing sound like, it's like, forgive me, sometimes I speak in tongues. Does it sound like something that a crooked and perverse generation would do? So notice, whatever the world is doing, that's not us. We are not to love the world or the things of the world. We've been bought with a price out of that junk. That's what we were. That's not who we are. We have a new position in Christ and a new life that Christ wants to live through us. Guess what? It's one without grumbling or complaining. As a sheep before the shears, did he open his mouth? Man, he could have, couldn't he? He could have looked at the cross and been like, what? (laughs) Me? But I didn't do anything. Is he right? Even that would have been complaining, wouldn't it? Even that would have been disputing with the Father. Like a sheep before the shears, he didn't say a word. When they asked him, he kept his mouth shut. Think about it. Notice, in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear, you and I appear as lights in the world. Do we? Do we? Because it seems like what is contingent upon the brightness of the light that we have appearing in this crooked and perverse generation is the fact of whether or not we've been grumbling and complaining. Our speech can darken the light. Everybody see that? It'll blow your witness. Why would somebody want to trust Christ if that's the way it is? Notice, you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the, what is it? Word of life. Everybody see how important the Word is? Hold fast to the Word of life. Here's the reason. So that in the day of Christ, that's the judgment seat, the Bema, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. In other words, Paul is saying, my time in sharing the gospel with you and teaching you and discipling you will not be found in vain because you actually listened and applied the sound doctrine that you were given and your life was changed because while this crooked and perverse generation was complaining and grumbling about everything, you didn't have anything to say. Why? Because you weren't living for this world, you were living for something greater. Because you set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's your place. A lot of Christians spend so much time making their home here. This ain't where you live. This isn't where I live. This ain't the end. If this is the end, God help us. Is Donald Trump the best we get? No. I have a greater king. I have a righteous king. I have a king that is sufficient. I have a king that cannot lie. I have a king that will not steal. And yet I've got reason to complain here? Shame on me. Shame on me. How about this? Hebrews 3. we got two more. You guys are being good. Hebrews 3. I love this verse. We have meetings every month called Seven Practices Meetings. One of the big things we've been focused focused on in our ministry teams in the church is, what does it look like to win? What does it look like to do exactly what you needed to do while you were here? And so we actually have a staff here, and it consists of myself and the wonderful, amazing, magnificent Mary Severson who just put together 72 hermeneutics binders. Tried to get Art to help her and had to fire him for messing it up. (laughs) What shows assertiveness and attention to detail. But our win is to encourage everyone that we encounter. On a Monday from a Saturday to encourage everyone that we encounter. And what I love is after we came to the conclusion of, yeah, That's what we want to be about Monday through Saturday while we're here is encouraging every single person that we talk to on the phone, get an email from or come in contact with. That's what we want to be about. I walk into her office. She's got scripture up everywhere. And she's got the wind up to encourage everyone we encounter. I'm like, yes, praise God. And here's where we got it from. Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verse 12, a little bit of context. Take care, brethren. Stop, saved or unsaved. Save people. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Did you realize that believers can have evil and unbelieving hearts? Have you met them? You don't go to church with them. I promise you. But notice, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Do they lose their salvation? No, they are out of fellowship with Him. Or if you, you're a good old Backwoods Baptist, they backslid, is the idea. Verse 13, but, notice that, but, instead of that being the end result that happens, the evil unbelieving heart amongst the body of Christ, but, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Look around, church. See everybody here? Look around. You might be rubbing shoulders with somebody. You maybe never seen them before. Encourage them before you leave today. Encourage them. Encourage them. Day after day. Another day. Day after day. As long as it is still called today. Is today today? Yes. Every day that ends in why, encourage somebody. That's the way it goes. Why? Why? So that, here's the reason, none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragement from your brothers and sisters and you giving encouragement to your brothers and sisters is actually a salve that softens the heart. It saves you from the deceitfulness of sin. Why? Because Satan wants to mess you up every day. (coughs) He is after you every day that ends in Y. How do we battle that? Encourage one another every day that ends in Y. As long as it's called a day, encourage somebody. Sometimes we're the only encouragement that somebody gets. Find your brother and sister you haven't seen in a while. Hug them, love them, encourage them. Why? Because we have a common hope and a common salvation. We have no reason to be upset. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that fact. Last one. Ephesians. Oh, I love the book of Ephesians. Chuck is in my office asking me weekly, "When are you going to preach through Ephesians?" So don't you do it, you're pretty jazzed about it. And understand, I say all this to you, Ephesians chapter four. I say all this to you, understanding James chapter three, verse one: Let not many of us become teachers knowing that we will be held to a higher standard. We have to give a a greater account for the words that we speak. James 3 is a good chapter to read on the dangers of our mouths. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Everybody see this word unwholesome? It means rotten. It means putrid. It means corrupt. It means that it's useless. It means that the quality is poor. I love you. I'm going to pick on you. Say what you want about Jerry Blystone. The man does not waste words. The man says exactly what needs to be said. And he thinks about whether or not it's the right thing to say. Now, I don't say that to make light of him in this situation or to embarrass him. But I do know this. God's obviously taught him something. You see what I'm saying? God has taught a lesson here. And in one of our elders here in the church, that's what you want. You want somebody that you can look at as a leader of a church and say, you know what, there's a model here. There's somebody that is exemplifying this truth. Because when Jerry talks to me, I listen. It's not putrid. It's not poor quality. It's not useless. It's got weight. It holds value to it. And it's something that when I walk away from the conversation, I'm honestly having to sit there and look at it in my hand and roll it over in my heart for a while. Because it's something that he's speaking from experience, either in life or with the Lord, that I need to know. And I don't know it yet. That's wisdom. That's wisdom in action. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But only, everybody see that word only? That means this is it. Only. This is the only thing that should be coming out of your mouth. Notice it's not, I hate my job. Nope, I hate my, fa- uh, my family. Nope, I hate my spouse. Nope, I hate this person. Nope, we hate a lot of things. What does Jesus tell us? If you hate somebody, you've done what? We're all guilty. We all deserve the chair. Because when you speak with hate against somebody, when you hate someone in your heart, you have murdered them. That's how seriously God takes sin. Don't let this fruitless, unwholesome, putrid stuff come out of your mouth. No, only such a word as is good for edification. What is edification? That's a real big Christianese word. Anybody well versed in Christianese here? Edification, what does it mean? Building up. Sounds like encouraging one another, doesn't it? Day after day, as long as it's called a day. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment. Here's the reason. So that it will give grace. It will give grace. Grace to those who hear. What comes out of your mouth? What consumes your speech? What words fly easily over your tongue? As you think through maybe the past week or month or so, Are they things that are value? Are they things of worth? Are they things that matter? Are they lying? Are they filled with hate? Is it like when you speak, daggers go off? Or are you a grace giver? Isn't that what Paul says? Speaking words that give grace. I tell you this, if the world needs anything, it needs grace. It is the one thing that the world cannot manufacture, buy, or supply. It cannot bring grace. Only God's people can manifest grace. And how are we most going to manifest it? Right here. Because if the truth of God is true, if we are redeemed, if we have been set up for a better hope than this world, then this right here gets changed. And when this gets changed, this gets changed. And when this gets changed, this gets changed. Everybody see how that works? It's a beautiful chain reaction. And it's not anything that the Scriptures don't plainly tell us. Are you a grace giver with your speech? Spend a moment in prayer. Father, Your Word is very clear about how our words matter and that they can be used to hurt or heal or to blaspheme or encourage But they expose who we really are. Pray, Father, that the Spirit is convicting us where we're wrong in this matter. That we would use our mouths to confess to you our sin. To recognize this blight that we've held on to maybe way too long. And because of it, we don't experience any peace. Because of it, we don't have any joy. Because of it, the new life that Christ makes available seems like something that is a fairy tale. That's not the case. It's just sin. It's just sin doing what sin does, trying to separate us from You. So Father, I pray that we have a confessing heart today. That our words would be fruitful. That we would be encouraging one another that we would listen to be discerning of those around us. That we would not grumble and complain, but we would be above reproach in this perverse world. That we would serve out as lights that reflect Your glory. Father, make us grace givers if we are not and if we are, Lord. Let us not become proud. Let us be humble. Give us discernment of those people here today that need to hear words of encouragement, words of affirmation, because Christ is everything in us. We are nothing. Christ is everything in us. Anything good in us is of Christ. It is not us. Thank you, God, for grace upon grace upon grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.